Welcome again, and thank you for being back tonight. We appreciate so much you being here. We are grateful for the opportunity to be together, and we are thankful for, we got a lot of young folks here tonight, and that's encouraging. We appreciate the influence of those of you who are parents that have been such a great example to your, your children, and the fact that you have them here tonight, I think, is a great, great thing. I do want to say very quickly how much we appreciate those who visit from week to week. I know that our numbers are down, and it's my hope and prayer that we will rebound and be back again to normal, but just don't know when that's going to be. Tonight we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. Last week in our study we looked at chapter 2. Tonight, as we look at chapter 4, we're going to be talking for a moment or two about how blessed we are to live in Christ. The world that we find ourselves in is wrought with just so many different circumstances that prevail themselves upon us, it seems as if, daily. And there are a lot of difficulties associated with living here on planet Earth. And I understand that this recent surge in COVID has created a lot of heartache, a lot of turmoil in the lives of people. And so what I want to do tonight is think for a minute or two about how blessed we are in Christ. And really, the focus of our study tonight, we've been looking at key chapters in Scripture. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter 2. Tonight we look at chapter 4. And what I want to say as we begin our study tonight. If you need a dose of encouragement, if you need to be inspired as a child of God, and if there are times in your life when it seems as if the world is winning and you're losing, I want to direct your attention to Philippians chapter 4. There are some, there are some passages in Scripture that we ought to familiarize ourselves with and really in all candor, we ought to spend a lot of time in. Because I think in Philippians chapter 4, Paul emphasizes and really reinforces how blessed we are to be in Christ. And sometimes we lose sight of that. You think about all the things that we face on a regular basis. What the devil wants to do is to circumvent the joy that we have in Christ. You remember the Apostle Paul is writing from a prison, isn't he? This is one of four prison epistles. And so as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and Paul had history with the church at Philippi, going back to Acts chapter 16. In a Roman prison cell, as he writes to these people, he would say, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, Rejoice. Says something about his spirit, doesn't it? says something about the relationship that he had to God and the understanding that despite what we face externally in life, nothing or no one can rob us of the joy that we have in Christ. So with that in mind, I want to I just share with you what I believe to be some basic principles associated with being in Christ. Number one, Paul emphasizes our security in Christ. 
We live in an insecure world, don't we? I was thinking this past week with all the cases of COVID, I feel like I'm at war. And I feel like I'm out on the battlefield and soldiers are dropping left and right. And I just keep plugging along. My prayer is that I won't get COVID. My prayer is that you won't get COVID. But to understand that no matter what happens in this life, we are secure in Christ Jesus. So in light of that, Paul talks about the fact that we are a part of the family of God. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. First, Paul talks about those who are beloved in the Lord. To understand that we are loved by the Lord and that we are to love as God's people, aren't we? Paul had tremendous affection for these people. Matter of fact, two times in this one verse, he speaks of his love for them. Now we know that the Bible says God is love, and that God has demonstrated his love toward us. Paul here is talking about the fact that in Christ we are people born of love. We are people who are to demonstrate love. And that was evident in his writings to the church at Philippi. But note also, if you would, their behavior in the Lord. In verse 2, Paul said, I implore Euodia. And I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers. So here were people that Paul had great affection for. He held them in high esteem. He identified them as beloved of Almighty God. They were brethren. They were members of the household of God. They belonged to the family of God. And obviously when you have people in the church, there are always possibilities of getting crossways. And so Paul here is urging these two ladies in Christ to work out their differences and to be of the same mind. And so how we conduct ourselves as children of God says something about us in Christ, doesn't it? And note if you would, Paul said, stand fast in the Lord. When Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul would say to the church in the first century, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul's desire for these brethren that they might be faithful to God. That's the plea of Scripture, isn't it? That we live faithful in the eyes of Almighty God, that we let nothing come between our relationship between God and His people. I might just very quickly point out, you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said that if we go to worship and remember that someone has ought against us, then we need to go and reconcile that. In Matthew 18, Jesus talked about those who have been trespassed against or somebody has done them wrong, and he said, here's what you need to do. You need to make it right. 
And so to understand that reconciliation and to live in harmony with one another is a very key component in Christian living. Then there's the second thing. First, our, we are family in the Lord. But secondly, we have a future in the Lord. Now listen to what Paul said again to the saints in verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. As a child of God, to understand that our names are registered in heaven. Now, if you look at the scriptures, the Bible says we have been redeemed by the Lord, haven't we? We have been redeemed by there are many songs that we sing that emphasize our redemption in Christ Jesus. Paul said it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1.7. We are reconciled in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would say be reconciled to God. So we are redeemed, we are reconciled. And the Bible says our names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. You remember in Luke chapter 10, the disciples were, joy, were joyous because the spirits had been made subject to them. And Jesus said, let me tell you what, you need to rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. When does that occur? When we obey the gospel? The Hebrew writer said to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, who are registered or written in heaven, God has a book, and that book houses the names of all the redeemed. If you're a citizen in this country, then there's a record of that, isn't there? As citizens in this particular community, there are records that identify us as people who live in Olive Branch. Well, by the same token, what Paul is saying here is, as the redeemed of God, as the reconciled of God, our names have been registered in heaven. One day that book's going to be opened. You remember John in Revelation chapter 20 said, he saw the dead small and great standing before God, and the books were opened. Then he said another book was opened, which is the book of life. Imagine if you can, standing before God, and as you stand in the presence of God on that great and final day to hear your name called, that'll be a great blessing, won't it? So first, our security in the Lord. But then there is a second thought. This has to do with our support in the Lord. Paul, in verse 5, says, Let your gentleness be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So number one, what Paul is saying is that we are supported by the promise of God's presence. To know that God is always by our side. Again, Paul's in a Roman prison cell. Paul had on many occasions been shamefully treated, mistreated, abused and used. He had been stoned. He had been whipped. And you think about all of his adversities. 
And yet as he writes to these people in Philippi, he says, you know what, I may be in prison, but the Lord is at hand. The Lord is by my side. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1 that Joshua was told by God, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He went on to say, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So number one, God will stand by us. Now There are a lot of folks in the world today, they may tell you, when tough times come, they'll stand by you. Well, sometimes folks do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes people like Peter, they think they're stronger than they are. In their heart of hearts, they genuinely believe that they will stand by your side and support you, come what may. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, does it? But to know that there is a God in heaven who has promised us His presence 24-7, God will stand by us, and God will stand with us. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul talked about those who failed to stand by him in his time of need? And he said, I pray God that it won't be laid to their charge. But in, verse, in about verse 18, Paul said, but the Lord stood with me to know that God will stand by us and that God will stand with us. Paul was facing some tough times. As a matter of fact, some six years, some six to seven years from the writing of this one book, Paul will face death. And Paul understood that even though he would one day step out into eternity and that time was near, he had nothing to fear, did he? Because the Lord was with him. So God will stand by us, God will stand with us, and God will stand for us. There's a beautiful psalm in Psalm 56. It's one of David's psalms, and David, as you well know, wrote a lot of the psalms. And David is being oppressed and hounded. And David makes the statement, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. There are a lot of folks today who are living in fear. And what David said is, whenever I come to a point in my life when I am afraid, when I fear something, my trust is in you. In that context, in Psalm 56, he talks about his tears. And I have no doubt that David shed a lot of tears in his life. For example, when Jonathan, you remember Jonathan tried to supplant the kingdom from him. This was his own flesh and blood. Absalom. What did I say, Jonathan? Man, I'm losing my mind. That was a friend. Billy and I were saying the other day, you know, if you speak over a period of time, sometimes you misspeak. But Jonathan was a close friend of Paul. But Absalom, a friend of David, a family member, tried to steal the kingdom, didn't he? So David faced a lot of tears in life. 
And so David talks about God holding his tears in a bottle. But then in verse 9, here's what he said, and I love this verse. This I know, God is for me. God's for you. God will always have your back. Did you know that? I mean, just think about that. God will stand by you, God will stand with you, and God will stand for you. That's something that you can depend upon. And David, the king of Israel, understood that the God of heaven was with him. Ought to be of great encouragement to us. So to understand, number one, that the Lord will support us with the promise of His presence. But then there's a second thought. He will support us with the privilege of prayer. Now look, if you would, in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul now turns his attention to one of the great resources that we have as a Christian. Prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Prayer has to be one of the greatest spiritual blessings that we enjoy as Christians, isn't it? I mean, if you were to begin to itemize or just make a list of all the great blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, don't you think that prayer would be somewhere near the top? Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And then listen to this, and his ears are open to their prayers. 24-7, God is available to take your prayers. You talk about a resource. We said that the Lord will support us, won't he? One of the ways that God supports us is that He invites us to come before His throne. Paul was a man who spent a lot of time in prayer. If anybody had reason to have anxiety or worry in life, Paul would have been the man, wouldn't he? And yet, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6 that we're not to worry. And I know what the Bible says, but typically what do we do? We worry, don't we? There are so many reasons why people are filled with worry and anxiety. And yet Paul is saying, in nothing be anxious. Don't worry about anything. So how then do you offset the worries and anxieties of life? Paul says it right here. The antidote to your anxieties in life is prayer to God. How much time do you spend in prayer? I mentioned a moment ago the fact that God will stand by us, with us, and for us. That's a wonderful thought. But to know that His ear is always open and attentive to our needs and wants. Is there anybody that's ever faced a crisis in life, tough times, and just needed someone, just needed someone to listen to them. You may be here tonight. 
And that's the dilemma that you faced. You've been bearing these burdens and trials on your own. And sometimes your heart is heavy. And there are times in life when we are deeply hurting. And yet to know that God invites us to come before His throne. I really appreciate the words of Solomon in Proverbs 15. When Solomon said, The prayer of the upright is His delight. You are not bothering God when you come before His throne, are you? You're not wearying Him when you approach His throne and lay before Him all of your trials and tribulations and tears in this life. You have His absolute attention. Now, can I fully grasp that? No. But I believe it. Do you? So, there is this tremendous resource that we have. It's called prayer. But then secondly, did you know that we can find relief through prayer? Listen again to what Paul said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Then in verse 7 he said, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have there been times in your life when you have been hurting and your soul is in anguish and you've turned to God in prayer and you have literally emptied your soul before the throne of God and now as you look back, do you not appreciate the relief that came your way when you simply laid your burdens before His altar, before His throne. Think about, think for a minute about some of the things that you faced in your life. Good times, bad times. We ought to pray in good times and bad times, shouldn't we? But to understand that as a child of God, there are times in life when we have acute needs. Needs that the only source of help is God. I like the words of the Hebrew writer when he said that we are to draw boldly under the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are times in life when we need God's grace and we need His comfort, don't we? He is the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies. So to understand that there is a God in heaven who will literally build a garrison around our heart and provide us the peace that passes all understanding. Listen, I'm grateful that I don't have to make a go of it in this life alone, aren't you? Aren't you thankful to have God at your side? Aren't you grateful for the privilege of prayer? Paul here is just itemizing for all of us some of the benefits and blessings of being in Christ. There's a, another thought here. The third thought is we can find satisfaction in the Lord. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 
said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The challenge of contentment. It's hard to be content in a world that is constantly telling you, you need more. You ever thought about the numerous advertisers on television, radio, magazines, etc.? They're always telling us that we need something else to make our life complete, aren't they? That there is this sense of incompleteness in our life because we haven't acquired this or that. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for contentment. They're looking for some measure of satisfaction and happiness in this life. The problem is, they're looking in all the wrong places. Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. How many people in our world today have the idea that if they could get a bigger house, afford nicer clothes, drive a better car, and the list goes on and on. If they could just somehow acquire all these things, and in their professional setting, if they could just get this next, this next position or this next promotion, then they'd be satisfied. Isn't that the way we think? I mean, in life, are we ever genuinely satisfied and content with where we are in life? So the challenge is very real. But what about the criterion for contentment? Is it possible for me in the 21st century to live in a state of contentment? I think the answer is yes. Now, if you listen to the world, the world's going to tell you, you can't be content unless, and then you just fill in the blank. What Paul said is, I have learned. There's some things that I have learned in my life, and one of those things is, I have learned to be content. If I have a lot, so be it. If I don't have a lot, again, so be it. Go back again and look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. In other words, Paul's saying, you know what? If we have the necessities of life, there ought to be a measure of contentment, right? So here's my question. If Paul's saying that he had learned to be content, and in writing to Timothy, he's saying that contentment can be a reality in our life, why are we so discontent? Why are we so dissatisfied in life? Is there a disconnect somewhere? So to understand, and listen, I believe that God wants us to be happy, satisfied, content. I believe that God wants the very best for us. But to understand the best is in Christ. That's really the best way to live.
So, we talk about our satisfaction in Christ. There's a final thing I want to share with you. In verse 13, Paul turns his attention to our strength in Christ or in the Lord. Listen to what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't have the ability, like Superman, to fly from building to building. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. But I do think that Paul is saying that in Christ, we can have the strength, the fortitude that we need to make it day by day in this world. So number one, strength for the trials of life. Do you remember Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He talked about the abundance of the revelations that he had received. And he said, because of the abundance of these revelations, God had given him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he said, I be exalted above measure. And Paul said that this thing was such a discomfort to him that three times he went before the throne of God and prayed that it might be removed. Remember what God said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Can God strengthen us and get us through the trials of life? He can, can he? You remember in James chapter 1 when James talks about the various trials of life that we face? The fact that trials are a reality in the world in which we live. And yet to understand that we're not facing the trials or tribulations of life unaided. As Paul said, he besought the Lord three times and God said, look, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I will get you through this. In verse 19, Paul said, but my God shall supply all your need. When I'm facing the trials of life, do I have needs? Yes, I do. You remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we read just a moment ago, where we're to draw boldly under the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need? Is there a God in heaven who is interested in my plight on planet earth? Yes. Will He strengthen me in tough times. Sure he can. So there is strength for the trials of life and then for the temptations of life. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer talks about how Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. In verse 18, the Hebrew writer said, in that he himself has been tempted... He is able to aid those who are tempted. Does Jesus understand something about the temptations that we face in life? Yes. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 4. The various ways that the devil assaulted him in the wilderness, the devil uses those same means to tempt us today. And yet Paul said that with every temptation... God will make a way of escape, won't He? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
So to understand that there is strength. And listen, we gain strength by reading and studying and meditating on the Scriptures, don't we? Jesus used Scripture to defend Himself in the wilderness. We can use Scripture to defend ourselves against the devil. We'll close tonight by saying it's a tremendous blessing to be a Christian. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 is just saying, you know what, if you're in Christ, you are living a blessed life. I believe that. I know that there are a lot of people in our world today, they know very little about what the Bible teaches. We live in a post-Christian nation. People, for whatever reason, may not necessarily be as inclined to be interested in spiritual things as they once were. But I think what the Bible teaches us is, you, if you want to really enjoy life to its fullest, it's in Christ. That's, that is the true measure of what life's all about. As, as Solomon said in the long ago, fear God, keep His commandments. This is man's all. That's what life's about. So tonight as we close, to know that we have security in Christ, that there is support for those of us who are in Christ, that there is a measure of satisfaction that we can gain in Christ. And there's strength in living for Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what could we say or do that would encourage you to come to Christ? To put Christ on in baptism tonight so that God can wash away all of your sins, put you in the church, and then you can begin living for Him day in and day out so that one day you can live with Him. If you're here tonight and maybe for whatever reason you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, and at one time you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, you repented of your sins, you were buried with Christ in baptism, you were added to the church, but now you're not where you used to be. That fellowship has been broken. You know, James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you tonight? You can leave here tonight rejoicing in the Lord. Whatever need you may have, why not come as we stand and sing?